go ahead and get started tonight. We are taking a look at uh, the faith journey of Abraham. Uh, he is one of the great heroes of the faith, and it's always uh, beautiful to just actually go back through, look at some of the major events in Abraham's life, see how he responded to the circumstances, uh, whether he passed the test, failed the test, or passed it, then failed it, or failed it, then passed it. I mean, he's he's a pretty good example of God just calls people like you and I, and then he uh, gives us opportunities and sets them in front of us. And with those decisions that we make along the way, that's what determines where we are spiritually. Abraham, it'll be nice to meet him and talk to him one of these days because he's uh, he's had a sin nature just like we do, and he's had he had problems just like we have, and uh, yet he continued to advance spiritually and became one of the great believers in all of history. So before we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer and uh, prepare ourselves to take a look at God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your test. Father, we thank you for our father Abraham. That's what he's so frequently called. We thank you that he is such a warrior for the faith. We know he's just a human being, just like we are. And Father, we, uh, we give you the praise for writing about his life, inspiring that, so that we might learn from his, from his mistakes and failures and also from his successes. Father, we pray that we'll be able to do that and we'll be able to remember these things so we can honor and glorify you in our everyday walk. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at uh, actually point 17 in the life of Abraham. And uh, it's, you know, he was called. We, we all know that, that sequence of events all the way back in Genesis chapter 11. He went out in chapter 12, and uh, he didn't quite follow directions. It's always a problem when we decide we're going to amend the Lord's instructions. And so he ends up leaving the land of Ur with his father and his nephew. And then his father dies along the way, and Lot goes along with him. And in chapter 13, Abraham realized we got to go different ways. He told me to leave the land of my relatives and go to a place that I will show you. So he uh, gave Lot his choice. Lot picked out Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, he moved down to the south of where they were located. Abraham uh, went the other direction. And from there, Abraham um, actually became a, a great warrior. He took on one of the most powerful armies in the world at that time, and he won the battle uh, with 300 guys and he was able to get Lot back because the place he was living failed to pay their taxes and the king came, kings came to get their tax money back. They killed the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and they hauled off a lot of the people as slaves and so Abraham went and got his nephew back and got them back and in the way back from defeating the kings in Genesis 14 he met a guy by the name of Melchizedek. 
quite an interesting character that we learn about uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, both a king and a priest. Zedek means righteous. Melchi means my king. My king is righteousness. He was the king of Salem, which is Shalom, the king of peace. And so he is... Uh, uh, Abraham got to meet him and... Uh, this is kind of a special priesthood. He was king and a priest together, so he was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham knew this, he saw this, and he honored him by giving him a tithe, and that is the first uh, indication of the tithe we have anywhere in Scripture. Chapter 15, Abraham's got some more learning to go through, and he... Uh, 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 the part of the covenant with the Lord gets ratified. Chapter 16, after the Lord had told him, I'll make you a great nation and all that, chapter 16 is a big failure. And the failure was with he and Sarai, his wife. They both failed that one. And the result was Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, went into Abraham and his tent, produced an offspring by the name of Ishmael, who would be a wild ass of a man all of his life. That's what he is described at in Scripture. They are still uh, combating the Jews even to this day because Ishmael was the firstborn of Abraham and he thinks he should have received all of the blessings and yet Ishmael was not a believer in Jehovah Elohim so he was passed over and Isaac was the firstborn that counted. So Isaac is the uh, one that was born, a child of miracles and wonder. It was an interesting thing that... Um, the way Isaac was born because the Lord and two angels showed up at the campsite one time and um, Abraham just told his wife, said, hey, go kill the fatted calf, make a bunch of bread, da, da, da. And so, and she did. She went and made this big meal to feed these three uh, travelers that came through there. And uh, Jesus said to him, the Lord the angel of the Lord, which is the Lord, said to Abraham, I'll be back this time next year and you're going to have a son. And you might remember Sarah laughed when she heard that because she was eavesdropping behind the tent and she heard that and she laughed. My, how come my Lord being old have a child in his old age? And uh, she laughed at the Lord. Abraham laughed with the Lord. The Lord called her out on it and then she lied. You know, neither one of them were perfect, see. She said, I didn't laugh. He said, you're telling the Lord God Almighty you didn't laugh? When he, he said, oh, yes, you did laugh. And he said, we're going to call this child's name Laughter. So we're going to name him Isaac, Isaac. And uh, that's, what, that's what they did. Isaac was born. He uh, became the object of ridicule of Ishmael. And at the age of five, he went through a weaning. Ishmael was mocking him. Ishmael would have been about 11 years older than uh, Isaac. And he was mocking him and taunting him. And, and uh, Sarah came to Abraham and said, you've got to get the kid out of here. And Abraham had a tremendous love for Ishmael. He truly did. And he tried to intercede. And the Lord said, no, you need to listen to your wife. You need to get him out of there. Get him and her out of there. And the Lord appeared to Hagar, uh, actually while they were out in the desert, and said, don't, don't be afraid, I'm going to take care of you. He shall become a great nation. A lot of people, a lot of descendants, a lot of offspring. So anyway, Isaac was weaned, and Isaac uh, was offered. 
is a sacrifice. Can you imagine the test that Abraham faced? Here is the child of promise. There are no other children except Ishmael there for, uh, for God to choose from. And he says, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. And this is one of the most amazing statements of faith found anywhere in the scripture. Now Abraham, first of all, knew it was the Lord talking. It wasn't some demon. It wasn't some aberration. It, wasn't any, it was the Lord that told him to do that. And he felt that automatically that that's what he was going to do. I mean, that's the response of faith. Our responses of faith should be automatic, full and complete. And that's what Abraham did. And he took him a three days journey. You'll notice two, two guys went with him, uh, and, cause, which kind of portrays the, the uh, Christ on the cross and the two thieves on both sides of him. And they went a three days journey into the wilderness where there he would offer him up. He built the altar. He set, the, set everything up to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And the indication is that Isaac was a willing sacrifice. Now, that's a picture of Christ. If ever there was one, that's a picture of Christ. And just before the knife came down, the Lord stopped him. And he said, because you've not withheld your son, your only son to me, then in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The final phase of the Abrahamic covenant, which is the line of the Messiah, was ratified right then. As the Lord would do the same thing, 1950 years later, 2,000 years later, in, in his son, the father would do that with his son, only he wouldn't withhold the death penalty. He would let him endure it. So Isaac was offered up a phenomenal thing because uh, whenever he stopped him, he said, look, there's an, there's an offering and there was a ram caught in a thicket over there. And he says, go offer up that other sacrifice. And that's what he did. Takes a perfect substitute in order to pay for sins. Now, where we left off, that's Isaac being offered. The, I, I see that as the, the main principle is that God knows what he's doing. When he tells us to do things, sometimes it doesn't sound good, doesn't sound right. Sometimes it's things that we don't even want to hear. But he knows exactly what he's doing whenever we are asked, uh, according to Scripture, to do something we really don't want to do. The test... What was Abraham's priority? The giver or the gift? What was more important? What was more important? Was it the giver, him, or was it the gift, Isaac? What was it? The temptation is you want to hang on to the gift and deny the giver. And therein is a, is a problem. The status passed. Passed with flying colors in a wondrous way and we are still receiving the blessing of Abraham passing that test. See, if you flunk a test, it can affect a lot of people. But if you pass a test, it can too. And especially these big ones. We all face big tests from time to time in our life. And how important is it to pass them? See, if, it, it's interesting that if we, if we flunk a big test... It's understandable. But it's not justifiable. He has given us whatever we need. He's promised he will not test us beyond what we are able. 
We're only able to pass some test by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a submission. We're submitting to Him and He provides the strength by which we might be able to pass the most difficult test of our life. Now, Abraham is then faced with another test, another big test. And this is the death of Sarah. Now, the loss of Sarah, this was obviously the love of his life, even though he sold her out twice that we know about. Say you're my sister so they won't kill me. We know that Abraham had a little bit of a problem with the fear of death. And so he decided to (laughs) throw his wife under the bus twice. And the Lord stopped it. Uh, That's another interesting uh, procedure, another interesting thing that the Lord does. At times he steps in front of our stupid mistakes and decisions. And he continues to uh, bring about his plan. But the death of Sarah, and here is, he needed a place to bury her. And here are these guys that, hey, we'll just give you this land. We'll give you this piece of land. You can have it. You can bury your wife. And that was the test that he faced. And he said, and then he said, no, how much is it? And the guy said, well, what's 300 pieces of silver between friends or something like that? And Abraham pulled out the money and paid him. And what was the test here? To receive a gift from an unbeliever. That was the test that he was facing. He said, I refuse to do that. The temptation, saving money at the expense of honor. That was a temptation. Because sometimes people are more interested in the money than they are in the integrity and the honor that goes along with it. It's like it's, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and it starts real small. Doesn't have to be a whole lot. We shouldn't, there should not be a price on what it takes. We, we shouldn't compromise for any amount of money. Simple way to say that. No amount of money should cause us to compromise our integrity. Sometimes there will be tests and temptations in that way. But guess what Abraham did with that when he passed it? He said, you gave me a price. I'm paying it. I'm not going to argue with you. Not like he did with the Lord. If there be 50 righteous, he knew how to argue. You can bet Abraham knew how to negotiate. But he didn't argue with him at all. He said, here it is. And it became his piece of property, his piece of land. And that's where Sarah was buried. So the principle is mourn, but don't become the living dead. We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So you might not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's the principle. Mourn, but don't become the living dead. It is, as Christians, we have mixed emotions. When a loved one who is a believer passes away, and we should. If you don't miss them at all, it kind of makes you wonder. But you miss them, and you miss them to some degree. But you know that if they're a believer, you're going to see them again. This is, this is truly right at the heart of our faith. That this world is not it and is not over here. So if they're a, if they're a believer, you're going to see them uh, one more time. So mourn, but don't become the living dead. What did Joseph do when his father Jacob died? Mourned him for a month, is what it said. And here's the number two guy in Egypt. Joseph 
mourned his father for a month, and then took him back and buried him in the land of his fathers. That's what, it, that's what Joseph did with him. And it teaches us that there's a legitimate mourning for loss. But it should not be the mourning of those who have no hope. Shouldn't be that. There are people that are gone we're going to miss. And that's just the way it's going to be. But as believers we're going to see them once again. And that is, a, that is wondrous to know. Now, what was left after Sarah died? Isaac. Okay, here is the son... It's a, a bride for Isaac. And let's see, Isaac was uh, 40 years old and no bride. And so, what did Abraham do? Now see, he knew that through Isaac, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He knew that through Isaac would come great sexual prosperity. He knew that through Isaac, that's where it's going to happen, but Isaac doesn't even have a wife. He's getting old. <laughs> according, to, according to this, he's 40 years old and he does not have, have a, a wife. So what does, he, what does he do? Now here is Abraham. Um, he's trusting God. The test here is trust God and take action. Sometimes you know when to do it. Sometimes it is just wisdom to know when to do it. Isaac was evidently a pretty passive child. And it doesn't look like he fought him a bit to lay down on the altar. He's somewhat of a passive child. So he's, uh, Abraham's going, hey, I'm getting on up there because I was 100 when he was born. And now I'm 140. <laughs> and I want to see some grandchildren here. So, hey, Isaac, what's going on? So, without uh, prayer, that's the test. Thinking in action is trusting God. The thing is, you go in front of the Lord in prayer. So what did Abraham do? He went in and he prayed about it. And then, what was the test? He uh, passed it. So here is a principle here, a great principle. Pray for direction concerning filling the needs of others. We too often want to take things in our own hands. And... Uh, you know, figure out ways to do things, manipulate people. Um, you know, what are, how many movies have they made over the years where somebody, mom or dad or somebody, is going to intercede and they're going to help one of the kids out one way or another and they're going to get for them a, a bride or whatever it is. And see, here is Abraham. So he, he goes to the Lord and he prays about it. Acts chapter 6. What's going on in Acts chapter 6? Well, that's where the first deacons are mentioned. And there were widows, Hellenistic widows, being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, first of all, they weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> Nobody was supposed to be there in Acts chapter 6. Why? Because the Lord said, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth. And so, being good, obedient people, what did they do? They stayed. Okay? Kind of like the Jews. Well, Lord, should we go? No, you need to stay. So they went. Lord, should we stay? Yes, you need to stay. So they, they went. Any Whatever it was, they could get it and turn it around backwards. In Acts chapter 6, what did they decide to do? 
Well, they needed to be sure that nobody in that, that group went without food. And so, what did the apostles do? The apostle says, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. You know, we're still looking for guidance. It's early on in the church. Pentecost has just happened, 33 AD. People are still hanging around here in Jerusalem waiting for Jesus to come back. That's what, that's what they're doing. And he says, so what are we going to do? And they said, pick for yourself seven men full of the Holy Spirit, high in character, and you make them, you appoint them as deacons. Now deacons were first chosen to help in the daily serving of food. Because the word deacon doesn't necessarily have a high ring to it in the sense of an office, although we hold them in high position now. But deacon means a servant, one who serves, one who takes action, one who does the things that are required to be done for the functioning of the body. And they're in charge of a certain area. So that's what they did, and they elected it. And they got some, they got some good ones too along the way Philip uh, the evangelist went in to uh, evangelize the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 you find the, they pull some good ones out of there and they said let the Holy Spirit lead you you pick the people for deacons you're the ones that are going to call them as deacons now, that was quite a that was the first step in the early church to get some type of administration there beyond the apostles which is something that they needed so what do they do? They pray. How do we do this? And so that's what they came up with. Now, <clears throat> we find that uh, uh, the next thing that Abraham did, and see he's 140 years old when they go to get a bride. And uh, what? how does that happen? He sends Eliezer, his servant, to find a bride. Now, Genesis 25 is just a beautiful chapter of a servant following instructions, that's Eliezer, it's a servant following instructions who's got some wisdom, the ability to think through some things, and so he sent him to a different land, land of his relatives, because that's what they did back then, where he might find another believer, which was more important (laughs) than just finding a, a, a wife to produce children. He went back to do that, and what happened? You remember the story there about uh, he's trying to figure out how am I supposed to pick out a bride for for Isaac? <laughs> Abraham, my, my, my master's number one son. <laughs> how am I, can you imagine the prayers that went up between him and uh, arriving at that new place? And so when he gets there, he's watching the women draw water and all that. And he, and he asks, Uh, Would you draw water for me and my camels or whatever? (laughs) And, you know, can you imagine pulling water out of a well to make fill up a camel? That's that's a major undertaking. And she offered. Hmm, Rebecca. She offered. And he thought, okay, our little passive boy, Isaac, (laughs) needs a little bit of help here and this one is probably it so then he made the proposal she still had the ability to opt out of it and say no but she said I will so she took a step of faith Eliezer took a step of faith and the result was Rebecca 
Now, Rebecca had some of her own issues, which we see in later chapters in the book of Genesis. But uh, Rebecca was a, uh, uh, she was the right choice. Went on back and uh, they got married and they produced later Jacob and Esau, you know, the twins that were, that were fighting in the womb and, and uh, all of those things. He married Keturah. Now, who is Keturah? Uh, Keturah, that's, uh, actually, that's Genesis 25 uh, there. <clears throat> and Keturah is another wife. I, I uh, tried to think at one time, and I, I did, because I remember from being a little kid, I knew that, that um, what I was taught is that God had the right person out there for me to marry. I knew that. Helen knew that, too. So we both prayed that, and actually he put us together. We looked at each other for seven years before we decided to go out. We polkaed together and square danced together back in the fifth grade, but that was that was about it. And then we decided to, you know, to go out, and eventually we got married. But the, <clears throat> the who is this Keturah? Because I thought there was one person only that was right for you. And, and then I was taught that at one point in a Bible class and taught those things, right man, right woman. I was taught that. And I thought that. And then I got to dealing with stuff like, well, who was Abraham's right woman? Sarah or Keturah? And then you go, well, who was Jacob's right woman? Leah, Zilpah, Bilhah, or Rachel. And then you're going, this is too difficult. <laughs> okay. Here is a uh, picture uh, of whatever happened. If there was one design that was right for Keturah, he was dead, gone, whatever it was. So Keturah was the right one for Abraham at this point in his life. And that's what you, that's what you could say. That's the only conclusion I... I reached on it. Uh, But with Keturah, here's Abraham, 140 years old. Realize God's not done blessing you. Okay? He's not done blessing you, even though you get older in this life. He's not done blessing you. There's a lot of ways that he can bring it about. The temptation. Thank God's finished with you. Okay? I know sometimes we wake up in the morning and hope he's finished with us because we can't hardly get out of bed. But we, he's, he's not finished blessing us. There's so many different ways that he can, he can do this. And you, you think about, uh, you know, has, has God done with me yet? Well, not until we pull the last breath. That's, he's not done with us. And the status of Abraham on this, I believe he passed it. The point is that God blesses beyond anything we can think or imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. See, because for uh, 40 years, uh, 40, I think it was about another 35 years after the birth of Isaac. And then uh, Sarah died. And so Abraham lived another period of time. And Keturah was was uh, his wife. Now, <clears throat> Ephesians 3:20 and 21, to he, him who is able to, uh, to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever can do more than we can think or imagine or ask. Now, isn't that amazing? We think he's done. He's not done. I think of Jacob. Remember, Jacob was 130 years old. He thought his son Joseph had been ripped apart by wild beasts because that's what his what his conniving brothers had told him when they'd sold him into Egypt. And, he, and here is Jacob, and he's ready to die. He is ready to die. There was still another 17 years left for Jacob. He thinks that his... His eyes are getting dim. He's got, you know, he he's a problem. His body is a problem. The Lord said, I'm not done with you yet. Because what does he get to see in those last 17 years? His son, like Joseph, was like back from the dead. Because as far as Jacob knew, he was dead. And when they took him into Egypt and his son Joseph met him, that is exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And Jacob is a living example of that. Plus, there were 70 people went into Egypt when Jacob was 130 years old. 70 souls is what it says at Genesis 50. And so here are these people that have gone into uh, Egypt and he's watching this group of people that came through him multiply. This is amazing blessings, especially in that in that culture. It's neat to see large families. We don't see them very much anymore. When uh, uh, Monday at the Riley's, there was over 40 people in the family that uh, that were there, and that's tremendous. That's just great to have 40 people, and then and a whole bunch of uh, new ones, young ones <laughs> that are that are running around little characters. So uh, you could expect coming from the Rileys that they would all be little characters. But they're... uh, Anyway, he married Keturah. More children came about. And then, oh, the principle there is that he blesses beyond anything we can think or imagine. Now, the birth of Jacob and Esau... These, uh, this number up here, by the way, 1790 B.C., 1790, that's about the year that we're, those are the years we're looking at. So we are 1,800 years before the birth of Christ, roughly, when Jacob and Esau are born. Now, this is part of the chronology that you can track all the way from Adam, and it goes all the way down to 965 B.C., the fourth year of Solomon, and then we're able to work backwards from the time of Christ to arrive at that date, and that's how we get all the B.C. dates put together. But the birth of Jacob and Esau, around 1790 B.C., Isaac married Rebekah at uh, age 40, and they had no children for 20 years. Now what does that do to Abraham? Hmm, no children for 20 years. Abraham, see, is producing kids. With Keturah, you can read the the family tree there. Out of Keturah comes more kids. You know, he'd be blessed amazingly in all different kinds of ways. But out of out of Keturah comes more kids for Abraham, and Abraham is producing kids after the death of Sarah. And Isaac, his number one son, is not for twenty years. This was a test for Abraham. Uh, it was uh, also a test for 
Isaac and Rebekah. What was going on? See, Rebekah, like Sarah, initially was barren. So what did uh, what did Isaac and Rebekah do? What did Abraham do? Something that Abraham didn't do with uh, Operation Hagar. They prayed about it. They prayed about it. And the test was, will God keep his word? I mean, that's the test. That's something we ask all the time. It's a test that transcends all cultures, all dispensations, everything else. Will God keep his word? That was the test. And then the temptation, try to figure out some way to help God out. What happened with with, uh, Sarah and Hagar? They were going to help God out. And give him another child. But guess what? They waited on the Lord. And the Lord kept his word. And they all passed that test. Including Abraham. So the point is. The principle. Is that God continues to test our faith. As long as we draw breath. He continues to test our faith. As long as we draw breath. Uh, and then his death Abraham's death in 1775 BC now see we track this down and when you put all the numbers together and pay attention to what it says everywhere all over the Bible you figure out the flood was about 2300 BC and about 350 years after the flood Abraham was born that makes it 1950 B.C. And then he was 100 years old whenever Isaac was born. That's 1875 B.C. And then Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob and Esau was born. That makes it 1830 B.C. When you take the 175 years that Abraham lived from 1950, it's 1775 B.C. We're able to get some pretty good dates, relative dates, be that, but pretty good relative dates uh, on when certain people lived. The test, gathered to his people, that's what it says. He'd be gathered to his people. See, everybody, when it comes time to face that last part, how strong is your faith? It says Abraham was gathered to his people. The temptation is to wonder, is death just non-existence? Is it just non-existence for everybody and this whole thing is just a big mistake and all that? And it can run through anybody's head. No matter who they are, where they are, it can run through anybody's head. But the status, it all looks that Abraham passed this. Uh, we, we know it is dying grace. It is grace. Where, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is it? It's gone because it's been swallowed up. The principle, dare to be filled with all the fullness of God. <clears throat> dare to be filled with all the fullness of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, so 14 to 19, we already saw 20 and 21, he can do more than we can think or ask. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, after he's while he's closing out, Three amazing chapters of theology. Ephesians is 
First three chapters, theology. Last three chapters, practical application. That's the way he put the book together. And he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And the prayer is that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, four-dimensional. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Why? That you might be filled up to all of the fullness of God. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he wants to do. He moves inside of you when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is his, what is his role? It's kind of a clean house. Kind of a clean house. Get all the junk out of the inside. And then be what? Filled with all the fullness of God. There have been a lot of interpretations on those particular passages. But that seems to be the best, that's the best explanation I've seen of it. Now, what about Abraham's journey of faith? <clears throat> Abraham's journey of faith. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11 and verse 8 with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. <clears throat> By faith Abraham... When he was called, this takes us back to Ur, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. See, that's so beautiful. He said, go to a place, I will show you. He didn't tell him where. He said, just go. And uh, when you get there, I'll tell you. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise is in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That's one of those little phrases in there you put in there for a chronological tag because oftentimes people say, well, Abraham beget the line of Isaac or Isaac beget the line of Jacob. They don't usually do that with Abraham, but they do it with a whole lot of those guys before the flood. And it just doesn't hold up. Here is, because we know Abraham lived to be what? 175. We know that Isaac was 60 when he gave birth. That means Abraham was 160 whenever uh, Isaac uh, and Rebekah gave birth to Jacob and Esau. So he, he saw him. He saw Jacob and Esau, his grandsons. One of the blessings that God gave to him. He says, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architecture and builder is God. Now by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life. She was 90. How would you like the Lord to come to you, ladies, and 90 years old go, Guess what? I'll be back this time next year and you'll have a son. 
And most people would opt out. <laughs> Understandably so. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now how did Sarah start out with this revelation? She laughed at God, remember? She laughed. But then she embraced it. That's what this verse tells us. Therefore also there was born of one man. With him as good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number. And innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith. Without receiving the promises. But having seen them and welcomed them from a distance. And having confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See we're just passing through this land. We are sojourners. The Bible calls it a sojourner in the Old Testament. We're just passing through. For those who say such things make it clear. They're not seeking a country of their own. And indeed if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out. They would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back to Ur. Volition still existed. But as it is they desire a better country. That's a heavenly one. They went to where God showed them and they put down their tent pegs. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said... In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. And verse 19 is one of the greatest statements of faith found anywhere in the scripture. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. From which he also received him back as a type. Wow. Isn't that something? Here is Abraham. Whenever he... he when... The point is, whenever God told him to go sacrifice his son, Isaac was dead up here. He became dead right then. And he received him back. And how did he get through that three days? Faith, he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead because God had promised in Isaac, your descendant shall be named. Wow. That's a statement of faith. If ever there was one. So you could say that uh, Abraham's journey of faith, he respected God. He did. That's what started it all out. He respected God. This is things we can learn from it. To respect God. To have a fear of God, if you will. He respected God. He was attuned to God. He was listening to what he had to say. He sought to take every thought captive to its obedience. He was in tune with God. He respected him. He was attuned to God. And he was committed. He was committed to obey God. Now he made mistakes along the way. We all know we've documented those. And some pretty big ones along the way. That would haunt him for the rest of his life. He made some mistakes. But he was committed to obey God. And then he expected God to keep his promise. If I kill Isaac, you'll bring him back. Now, what a, what a 
picture that was. And he reaped the blessings. Did he not? He still got some blessings to reap. No idea what that is, but anyway, <clears throat> a Christian journey of faith produces an obedient life. A faith journey says what God says is the best for me is what I believe is the best for me. Okay? And that's what I want to do. A Christian journey of faith produces an obedient life. Genesis 26.5 is one of those verses that we probably should memorize, we should have on our refrigerators because there God is talking to Isaac. And he says, Because your father Abraham obeyed my voice, he kept my charge, which is the Hebrew word mishmaret. Shamar is a word that means to guard. Mishmaret turns it into a noun. And it's a word that basically summarizes the next three things that follows. He kept my charge. He kept my statutes, my coke, which is the small parts of it, the little bits of it. My statutes, my commandments, the mishpat, that's what our judgments, that which is honest and just, and my laws, my Torah. And when you look back at Abraham's life, none of those words are mentioned. So you have to look and find out how did Abraham fulfill these. And we've been going through looking at him. He obeyed his voice. He won this battle of life, even though he had flaws in it. He won the battle of, of life. And how did he do it? He paid attention to details. He did everything he could do to keep them. And he passed that big test as it came up. So Abraham is listed as one of the great uh, patriarchs of the faith. Uh, amazing, amazing man. And we get to eat dinner with him one day. I'm really looking forward with that, with that time in history. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy and love and grace. We thank you for all of your goodness. And Father, we thank you for Abraham's life that you chose to record. And Father, we thank you for the principles that we have gleaned from there. So Father, we ask you to bless us with this and keep us, help us remember it and live it. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And before we go, uh, this is the end of Abraham's journey. I have... Um, been looking at what to go to next uh, for next week and um, had a request to do the uh, symbolism of the tabernacle and the feast and and uh, those things which would be a lot of a lot of fun to do it's going to take some time for me to get it ready to do it the way I want to do it um, it's real easy to um, go overboard when you start interpreting types and symbols and such things. So um, any other ideas, suggestions that you can think of? What would you like to look at? Mike.